Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Fong and welcome to another one. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by Freelancer Magazine, helping you grow a freelance business you love. Right now, I'm done with issue four. I want issue five. I want more inspirational stories from freelancers around the world, freelance-specific business advice, practical tips, trends, events and lifestyle features. Freelancers across 25 countries are already subscribed to Freelancer Magazine. Make yourself one of them at freelancermagazine.co.uk. There's a digital version too. But mm, <laughs> get those sweet glossy pages in your hand. Not sure how many times I can do variations on that. Right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for conversion copywriter and messaging strategist Diane Wiradu. And I think it dawned on me that actually I didn't really want to be a manager for another company. I never wanted to do that. I was still kind of a cog in kind of someone else's machine, and I really wanted to be like the manager, like the only one. <laughs> Personalised things don't scale, and that's fine by me. I don't really want to have a network of like 20,000 people who I've never spoken to, I have no idea what they do, I don't know even know if they're really interested in my content or not. I think you do have to curate it if I've made some kind of a connection, I think that that's more valuable. Education is the foundation for everything when you're working for yourself more so than anything. Honestly, I feel like in the past year, I've done like two degrees. With the amount that I'm just like constantly learning. It's not just taking courses, but it's also just learning on the job. With every single project, I'm learning something new and then tweaking that for the next project. Yes, so there is Diane, her story coming up in a moment. She is from Birmingham, I think, but currently based in Portugal, but moves around. Multilingual, used to be a translator, now a copywriter, but as you can hear, much more to it than that. So looking forward to hearing her story. Just to remind you, there's over 250 episodes of Being Freelance. So if you're new to freelancing... There's so much to learn. Go back, take a listen. But here's the great thing. There's also a course at beingfreelance.com where I've taken what I've picked up from all of those guests, as well as my own experience as being a freelancer, created all of these little videos and written bits to, to help you get started without having to figure it all out for yourself. Check it out at beingfreelance.com. If you've got any questions, drop me a line. Uh, Also, come hang out with other freelancers because you're not alone being freelance. And the community is a really lovely place to be. So come say hi. Links at beingfreelance.com. Shall we crack on? Chat to this week's guest. And that is freelance conversion copywriter and messaging strategist, Diane Wiradu. Hey, Diane. Hi. Thanks for having me, Steve. Really excited to be here. Thanks for doing it. As ever, how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance? Yeah, so my first foray into freelancerdom was as a translator, actually, which was a very, very um, linear jump from my previous work. I worked at a huge kind of international translation uh, company as a project manager. And I never wanted to be a freelancer, actually, or work for myself at all. I really wanted to kind of climb the corporate ladder. Uh, it's really funny when I think back to the interview, my first interview for that role, which is for a very junior role. I remember when they asked me, well, you know, where do you see yourself in a few years? And I said, well, I want to be manager. <laughs> it was very, <laughs> very bold, very confident. Uh, and yeah, fast forward kind of for four years, I think I worked there. I got promoted, actually. I became a media department manager. I was managing a team of 40 and overseeing all these things. But but once I got there, I just realized I still wasn't really kind of fulfilled. I felt a little bit undervalued. I felt I was quite severely underpaid, I think. Um, and I think it dawned on me that actually I didn't really 
want to be a manager for another company. I never wanted to do that. I was still kind of a cog in kind of someone else's machine. And I really wanted to be like the manager, like the only one. <laughs> because no matter no matter which, you know, manager you are, there's always someone above you, isn't there? And I just kind of yeah. wanted to be at the top. And so I started to really think about, you know, freedom. I wanted to be the boss. And so I started to kind of think about how I could build my own thing. And and yeah, so from translation, I was, um, I studied languages in the past. I'd done a master's in translation. So it was a very linear jump for me. It was like, well, what can I do? What work? What skill do I have that I can go out there and, and offer as a service? And, and it was translation. So I jumped uh, straight into becoming a freelance translator. And then, as you will probably guess, I made a couple of shifts since then. But that was my first uh, foray. So how long were you, did you work as a freelance translator? Sort of a year, really. Quite less than, less, less than a year. So how did you go about getting those first freelance clients as a translator? Yeah, so interestingly enough, the, the company that I worked for then became my, my biggest client. In my previous role, I was working with a lot of translators and basically kind of managing all of the projects. And then when I left, I became, I like moved to the other side um, and actually started working with some old colleagues and they were kind of sending projects to me. Um, But I'd also throughout my time, I'd been doing a little bit of kind of side work. I'd been doing some translation projects on the side for another um, big company. Actually, I was working with um, Amazon, doing a lot of translations for them. Um, And I think kind of deep down I'm not sure if I was super aware at the time but I think I knew that I just wanted to I wanted to keep dabbling on the side just in case I needed that as a net uh, so when I left I wasn't ever really too worried I knew I was going to be able to to get work and thankfully have been nice to everybody that you worked with in that company <laughs> yes uh, never burn bridges always be kind to, to everyone and you, you never know they'll they might be able to help you in in a different kind of way later on so what happened then so you spend a year being a freelance translator so um, I'm actually a classic pandemic pivot case. I think there are a, a number of us who did have made a big pivot during the pandemic. But I've been considering copywriting for a while. So working as uh, a marketing translator, so I was working um, translating for uh, doing kind of retail, e-commerce, kind of hospitality. So I was already working on copy and messaging, right? So I was helping companies uh, translate their marketing materials from one language to another. I was also doing a lot of work as an editor, as a proofreader, proofreading texts. And even for some clients, I started working as a kind of linguistic consultant. So I was almost, I was advising them on why they should make certain language choices for some of their products and some of the markets. So copywriting was really one step away. And I I don't really remember how I first sort of came across the idea, but I started listening to copywriting podcasts. I started reading more about the industry. I think it was at the end of 2020. Um, And then at the beginning of 21, I started thinking, okay, this is really, this is quite, you know, something that I could do. I was taking it seriously. And then I actually called myself a copywriter before I even really started doing the work. (laughs) And unsurprisingly, I I really believe in like the power of words, you know, telling yourself something. And I, I needed that slow buildup for myself. I needed to I decided, hey, I want to start doing this. And so I just threw the word copywriter into my title and started calling myself one and then went out and started looking for copywriting work. Interesting, because, you know, I was wondering that, you know, like if somebody is freelancing in one particular thing, so it's, you know, they've got freelancing nailed, as it were, but they're freelancing and they're known for one thing, but then they realise, actually, I want to do something else. How do you make that transition? So step one, simply call yourself that But there must be a lot more to it because people are still coming to you for translation work. You're, meanwhile, going after something else. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, really. But, you know, I like to put it into context because I think 
people who are looking for jobs in you know the corporate world or get hired for a new role you can start something new and you've never done it before you you know you might apply for um i don't know marketing coordinator and you, that's never been your job title before and then you start the job on day one and then you learn about it and i just think why why do kind of freelancers have to approach approach this differently often we feel like we have to have you know years and under our belt before we can kind of call ourselves something and I think I realized that a lot of the skills that I had, you know, I'm working on messaging and I'm thinking about how to approach uh, copy in one language in one context and writing and editing things. And so I really did have a lot of the skills there and to kind of not give myself the opportunity to, you know, change my title just seems silly. I honestly have changed my titles just so many, so many times. I think I changed my title like five times last year, Steve. It was crazy. (laughs) There's a questioning point then. Why that tweaking of the title? A number of reasons, really. One, for myself, it was a journey of exploration of, you know, deciding what do I want to do? Also kind of testing the market. You know, when a job title, I think, is something that's quite important. I know some people have different opinions on this and they think, you know, either it doesn't really matter But I think for freelancers, that's everything because that's how we present ourselves to clients. People instantly make, um, you know, you make your first impression by saying I am X and it has to resonate. You know, it has to it has to be something that someone is looking for. So I started off, I was just yeah, freelance translator, translator. And then I think I kind of niched that down and realized I'm I'm actually marketing. Um, And that was kind of a key word, particularly on places like LinkedIn, where keywords are really important to have in your kind of title when people are looking for you. So I said, okay, marketing translator and editor and proofreader or something. And then I realized, no, you don't, you don't enjoy the editing bit so much. Then I dropped that and I added marketing translator and copywriter. You can see where we're going here with this. Uh, And then eventually, um, you know, once I started slowly taking on projects and realizing that, okay, I can't do both of these things. I can't stay within the translation industry and the copywriting industry. I can't, I need to just jump in and own it. And I, I think I was, I was straddling the two of those industries for quite a while because I was just scared to jump in. Um, but it was confusing to me. <laughs> it was confusing to my clients and I didn't have the energy to really build like two different businesses. And then I just decided to get rid of one and move into copywriting. And then since then, as you probably can guess, because I'm a messaging strategist now as well, I have um, pivoted again since then. So actually, I mean, you're calling it pivoting, but really it sounds like it's kind of niching. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, niching is um, really important. You know, I think we could call it specializing. We could call it niching. Yes. um, But basically just kind of narrowing down narrowing down what you do who who for and um you know just kind of following the path that makes sense for you so I've done a lot of that and I think I've done it a lot faster than perhaps I would have if I wasn't working for myself presumably as a translator you had other languages other than English um, (laughs) that you could speak is that still part of okay you're not translating but is that still part of your I guess skill set or whatever that you show to clients that you offer to clients? No, it isn't anymore. It was at some point at the beginning of my copywriting journey, I did think about trying to serve clients based in uh, kind of Spain or Italy or uh, Spanish uh, speaking countries. So I speak Italian, I speak Spanish, I speak Catalan. Those are the languages I would be confident translating Mm. in. And I also speak a bit of French, but that's less confidently. But it it just didn't really work. It was quite confusing. It was a little bit harder. And I I really wanted to, what I've done over my kind of career is 
try to choose the path of kind of least resistance. <laughs> One of the reasons I left the translation industry and I'm, I'm so much happier and more confident and I feel like I can have more impact with my work now is that, that I was uh, fighting. I had to do a lot of education. Um, there's a lot of uh, commoditization and kind of devaluing of my, of my work. Um, and so when I moved into copywriting, I realized that I wanted to work with the clients who already knew that they needed it, <laughs> that understood the value of that work. And I didn't want to have to do that education piece around that. So that was also one of the big reasons for kind of niching and specializing over the, over the past uh, couple of years. So how did you get that next set of clients? Thinking back, one of the first things that I did was I um, signed up to a directory or a company, a company directory. So there's a there's an industry association in the UK called Pro Copywriters. Um, one of the first things I did was I signed up and created a listing. You know, kind of put my name up there, put my credentials, put the kind of work that I did and work that I could do. And one of my first ever copywriting um, clients came from there. Um, I also did a bit of a kind of just a mishmash of scrappy marketing. I posted in Facebook groups. Um, I messaged old colleagues and friends and kind of told people, hey, I'm looking for this kind of work. Do you know anyone? I actually didn't get (laughs) great responses from that. Um, I would still suggest doing that to anyone else who is considering. I think that reaching out to your network is a great place to start. It's just unfortunate that for me, it didn't actually turn into any any work. Um, but um, signing up to that to that um, directory worked for me. And that was one of my first um, big copywriting projects. Where would you say you find them or they find you mostly today? It's a bit of a mix, actually. I'm not the best at tracking this and I should get better. Some clients are coming through LinkedIn. LinkedIn is definitely increasing for me in terms of uh, like lead generation I'm noticing a bit of a payoff because I've been using LinkedIn for quite a while. Um, Also referrals from other people in my network, other kind of copywriters. Yeah. And also the other thing that um, I'm kind of focusing on a lot more this year and I'm slowly starting to see is uh, speaking, like speaking engagements, podcasts like this, but maybe more kind of client focused uh, podcasts and webinars. Um, and I'm getting a lot of uh, project leads coming that way. Oh, I tell you what, let's talk about each of those in turn. So the first was LinkedIn, which you said you've been using for a while. In what way, like what, what are you doing on LinkedIn that you think is working? I post a lot. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, <laughs> like probably way too, way too much. I really love like hanging out um, on LinkedIn and I've kind of, I've, I've gone all in. Like I tried to be everywhere and posting on Facebook and feeling like I needed to be on Twitter and I'm occasionally there, but I really, I've just focused on that one channel because I realized as soon as I kind of niched down a little bit further into kind of B2B and digital service companies, I realized, you know, you've, you've got to be where people are and that's where they are. Like, mm. you know, my, my type of clients are tech founders. Um, they hang out on LinkedIn and they consume content in that way. So I've just, I just post uh, sort of short form to medium form posts that cover, you know, anything and everything around uh, tips um, and kind of advice around messaging and copywriting. I talk a little bit about some of the projects that I do. Um, I also share some uh, opinions, you know, about kind of my the pick a fight sometimes with uh, different kind of industry opinions. And I also share kind of a bit of, about my like journey and kind of being a business owner, entrepreneur, that kind of thing. And so you're posting every day. Right now, I've fallen off the wagon a little bit, but I did. I did in the beginning. I was very consistent. I think I posted every day, every weekday, initially for like six months. Wow. (laughs) Did you like 
write stuff in advance or are you writing it on you know there in the moment like what's your way of doing it I've never really stuck to a specific kind of strict schedule I'd like to I'd like to give myself a bit of flexibility sometimes I would post on the day sometimes I would write a few the week before I never I'm never more than a kind of a week planned out a week in advance um what I used to do was kind of just block off time every morning and that would be kind of the first thing that I do would kind of sit down and just force myself <laughs> force myself to write a post uh now I'm a little bit better so when the inspiration comes to me then I just pause go and write a draft so that when uh, I need to post next time I've already got something to kind of start with uh, and I think that's I think that's really key I think in the beginning I was just it was a challenge it was just like okay post every day I had no strategy no structure and so I just sat down and said okay what am I going to post today which was fine for a little while but it becomes really tiring and as my business grew I realized okay I don't have time for that and now I have yeah, a bit of a, a better approach is still not the most structured, but it, it works for me. So, you know, if a thought comes to my mind, I just jump into Evernote, which is the, the tool that I use to kind of keep all of my thoughts in one place. Um, and I just kind of, yeah, I put together a little a little post and then later on I'll come and kind of edit them and, and they're there ready for me when I want to post. So that's like the posting side of it. What about getting seen by the people you want to get seen by? Yeah, so curating your network, I think, is also really important. And yeah, you're right. We, we don't talk about that enough. Posting is really just one part of it. I do think that it, it's important because you you want to slowly create this kind of brand recognition and name recognition. And so over time, people start to realize, oh, I keep seeing Diane in my feed all the time. And she's always talking about the same things. Then after a while, they start to think, yeah, Diane, you know, they associate Diane with copywriting or Diane with messaging. And I also think it's a great way to build authority and get your name out there without, have to, without having to talk about your work all the time. You know, if you're constantly talking about a, a topic, you instantly become an authority, even without having to show a portfolio and show a website and show the outcome of my work. People automatically think, God, if she is talking about this thing all the time, <laughs> she must know her stuff. Um, that's just what people do in their mind. So posting is one of the things um, I've really kind of built out my network and trying to connect with, you know, CMOs and founders and people like that. Um, and then I also connect. I, I've made some really great relationships and friendships with people I've met on LinkedIn, actually. And it's brought me a lot of opportunities. There's a number of podcasts and I've been on and uh, webinars I've spoken at simply because in the DMs, I'm just kind of having conversations with with everyone. I, I, I send a, I try to send a personalized message to everyone that I connect with I try I'm a bit backed up at the moment but I do my best well either way as in if you connect with somebody or if they connect with you you check them out see what they're up to yeah I I I both ways (laughs) both ways and I know you're probably like that sounds like a lot of work and it does and that's why you know I think that personalized things don't scale I'm and and that's fine by me I don't really want to have a a network of like 20,000 people who you know, I've never spoken to, I have no idea what they do. I don't know even know if they're really interested in my content or not. I think you do have to curate it. If I'm connected with, you know, 400 or 4,000, it doesn't matter people, but we've at least had one quick conversation and we've made some kind of a connection. I think that that's more valuable for me. So mm. I always say to everyone, you know, if you want to connect with me, please send me a, a request, a message, because those are the ones that I'll respond to quicker. And it just, it feels nice just to know, you know, how, why do you actually want to connect? And, you know, you never know. There are some really interesting conversations I've had because I just opened that conversation. Like, you know, I've also chatted with um, guests that you've had on your show as well, actually. And I've reached out to them after listening and, oh. and sent, sent a message. And then it's the beginning of, a, of an actual relationship instead of just a connection. 
So would you say that that covers off <laughs> like how LinkedIn brings you work? Have we covered everything that you do on LinkedIn, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a sl- it's been a slow burner. I wouldn't say to everyone, jump on LinkedIn, post every day, you'll be flooded in clients. Absolutely not. I think you've got to you you've got to be kind of smart about what you're posting as well. You know, if you're always talking about the if you're quite negative, if you're talking about the downsides, the challenges, oh, you know, I had this client and I hated it. And no, that's not that's not what you should do. I think you you do need to really think about the type of content that you're putting out there and put it um, think about it from the perspective of, uh, you know, a prospect, what would they want to read? What would show you in the best light? And so I've always been quite strategic about that. I touch a little bit on entrepreneurship and running a business, but not too much because that's not the stuff that really matters to uh, my clients. So uh, posting the right things, uh, making sure that you are connecting, engaging, responding to people, and then kind of curating a little bit who you're connected with, you know, um, if you want to have a conversation with someone through LinkedIn, it's just so easy. It's like the click of a button. So go for it. So next in your list was referrals. So is that purely accidental or do you think you're able to make those happen? I think you can. You can definitely build referrals into your system. For me, it hasn't been. It's just been I've joined communities. Um, that was a really kind of big turning point in my kind of freelance career was going from just being alone, <laughs> working myself behind a computer, not being part of any kind of network. And then actually realizing, oh my God, there's just a whole bunch of other people out there that are doing the same stuff as me, that are learning. Um, and so I've made some great friends and great connections. And then we've, uh, you know, realized, hey, we overlap and I've, I've partnered with other freelancers on projects. And then because of those partnerships, they've actually sent um, kind of clients my way. And I, I refer a lot of work out as well the things that aren't a fit which is quite a lot at the moment because I'm constantly kind of changing the work that I do so uh, something that was a fit last year isn't a fit this year and and so now I've got a network of people that I can send those clients to as well yeah that's cool as you decided to specialize or niche how did you feel about turning down that work that was coming your way I think it's a mindset thing really and I think that that's for me that's one of the hardest things about freelancing is like the the discipline of realizing that you need to manage your time you need to manage uh the work that you do and you're in charge of you know the the path that you take and so I think you do need to every now and then take a step back and have a look at the work you're doing and and look at it and think is this the work that I want to be doing or have I suddenly gone down a path and followed that because people are getting in touch with one type of project? Mm. And, and I think, you know, doing that exercise every now and then and just looking and say, how am I spending my days? Am I doing, am I spending my days on projects that I love or is it, I just kind of got stuck in a rut. Uh, and I think when you frame it that way, it's a lot easier to say, no, you know, I could, I could take on that project that's going to take up the next three weeks, but then I don't get those three weeks back. And are those three, is that project going to push me forward towards the goal? Um, you know, the life, either the life that I want or the work that I want to do, or is it actually kind of steering me away? And so every now and then, you know, I, I do still find it hard to say no, not, not, um, not for the fact of saying no, just because I, I really like helping clients, you know, and it, I think it's nice to have that feeling when someone comes to you and says, hey, we want to work with you. Can you help us with this? It's it's often hard to, to say no to someone, but you have to kind of put yourself first because you're the only one who's in charge of your own your own business. Mm. 
So LinkedIn, referrals, and then appearing on podcasts and webinars. And I think you made a good distinction in the fact that, so, you know, I contacted you and invited you on here and you're not trying to reach, you know, everyone who's listening to this. Whereas you, it sounds like you're trying to appear on podcasts or doing webinars to put yourself in front of people who might hire you. Yeah, exactly. And this is something that is... um... It's a newer strategy. It's something that I'm really focusing on this year, so 2022. Um, and I came to this realization probably about six months ago or late last year. I kind of sat down and looked at the work that I was doing, the kind of marketing that I was doing. I took a course that was all about kind of finding your differentiation and kind of looking at where you sit in the market and how you can really better serve your clients. And one of the exercises that we did was start looking at our thinking about our unique abilities, like what makes you unique? What is that kind of intersection of the stuff that really energizes you and the stuff that you you just don't have to think about? You know, and I realized that even though I work with messaging and, you know, I write and strategize for my clients, you might think that, you know, producing a long form blog post would be like really fun for me, whereas actually it isn't. (laughs) It's like it's a bit of a drag and it takes me a lot of time. It doesn't, the thought of that doesn't energize me. Whereas having conversations, now that's the part that I love about the work that I do. And that's also why I've kind of moved into messaging strategy more so than copywriting, because I realized it's the conversations, sitting down with clients, talking about their messaging, talking about their their business. That's the part that I love. And I'm really, I'm quite extroverted. Um, I'm not, you know, kind of sitting in a room behind a computer, just working without inter- interacting with people, I find really kind of draining. I really need that contact. And so I came to the conclusion that like having conversations would be the best way for me to get out there. And it's the easiest way for me to actually kind of produce content and talk about the work that I do and show more importantly, clients that I, I know what I do. And it's a real authority builder. So it's been just eye opening. When I made that realization, I was like, this seems too easy. Like it just, it seems too easy, you know, just having a conversation. And that's what it, I feel like that's what it should be like when you find a marketing channel or something that you love doing, it should, it should feel mm. exciting and energizing. And I think that it, yeah, it's a great exercise for everyone to do and think, are you kind of fitting yourself in the box that you think you should be? And is there another way for you to kind of talk about the work you do in a more exciting way? Love that. Back with Diane in a moment. But I also want to say thank you very much to Ahrefs for sponsoring this episode. Do you wish you could get more traffic from Google? Half the battle is understanding what you need to fix on your site SEO-wise, which is why I've been using Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for being freelance.com. It keeps an eye on your site, audits it, and helps you figure out where to make a start. Like you'll see which keywords your pages are ranking for, understand how Google sees your content, discover how making changes can help you get seen. Imagine what this could do for your business. And best of all, it's free, like genuinely free. Visit ahrefs.com slash A-W-T. Ahrefs is A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. You can also find a link by scrolling in the notes in your podcast player. Again, thank you very much to Ahrefs for supporting Being Freelance. Okay, back to our chat with Diane. So how did you go about getting yourself on podcasts and doing webinars, talks, things like that? Yeah, so I I never actually pitched any podcast. So I think I was quite lucky. There's a little bit of serendipity working here. I first was invited on a podcast almost by accident. I had 
Um, if we go back to the LinkedIn thing, so I connected with someone on LinkedIn, really completely random, just a tech founder. And he said, Hey, shall we, you know, have a 15 minute conversation and get to know each other? And I said, yeah, that sounds like really good. Why not? Let, like, like it's, let's connect. And we had a chat and he said, oh, I've got a podcast. Like th- this conversation with you was so interesting. I think it'd be really interesting for my audience. Should we do, do you fancy it? And I thought I'd never done a podcast before. This is so strange, but why not? Let's go for it. Um, so that's the first podcast I ever did. And from then on, I think that people saw that I spoke on a podcast and then someone else got in touch with me and said, hey, do you want to speak on mine? And from there, it's just been a really slow um, kind of spitballing. Like it's just it's just kind of escalated. And then I'm this year, I'm focusing more now on, on reaching out. Um, and I put a post out, uh, I think it was a couple of months ago, saying, hey, I'm really considering speaking on more podcasts now. Is anyone you know, looking for a guest on X, Y, Z topic. Uh, and then a few people got in touch, but in the beginning it it was really kind of, it was really kind of casual and coincidental. I just, um, opportunities came my way and I said, yes. And, uh, some of them were scary, but I just said yes anyway. And I think that that's something I've done a lot of is, uh, just to kind of say yes, (laughs) yes to everything. Yes to all opportunities. I should really put a disclaimer there, not yes to every kind of crappy project that comes my way, but if there's an opportunity where, you know, there's a benefit to you, I've just said yes and realize and kind of thought I'll work this out later. <laughs> and how do you find the thing about in, in particular doing webinars? So there's because there's, there's like a difference, isn't there? Like you could do like a Q&A, um, mm-hmm. have a conversation, that kind of thing. Or you can actually imagine that you're getting up on a stage and giving a presentation and giving a talk. But those things take quite often they do for me anyway <laughs> they take a lot of time to put together they, oh my gosh they take a lot of time okay. they really do they really really do for me as well I'm a perfectionist I don't work fast at all Steve I am a slow like I've been slow my entire life <laughs> I'm a slow I'm a slow runner I'm the longest to get ready in my house I just take my time and I, I'm okay with it it's fine and and I put a lot of I put a lot of effort into the work that I do, and and it's the same. So for presentations, for talks, it does take up a lot of my time. But again, it's one of those things that I think is it's a long game play, and I think it's probably one of the most important parts of being freelance or running your own business is building your authority. And you don't always get paid for that, or you don't see the impact of that immediately. I think I spent almost kind of 30 hours probably on one of the last webinars <laughs> that I um, I uh, delivered. And if you think that's like a full week's work, I didn't get paid for that. Mm. But what I have seen and the feedback that I got, the connections, the conversations that I've had, the opportunities that are coming my way after that are kind of priceless. Like, you know, you, you can't put a price on that. And I think that that's more important. So I've made a kind of concerted effort to make space for the authority building stuff that, um, yeah, it does take time. Uh, you can't always quantify it, but um, I think it's it's the kind of thing that you see the payoff yeah. in, in months or years. And I guess the smart thing to do is if you've spent so much time, you know, like you're saying, a whole week of work on something is to then try and do that presentation again and again and again yeah in front of different repurposing yeah and and to do it in different in front of different audiences definitely that's something I'm trying to get smarter about um is repurposing my content so you know if I've put all of this effort into putting a presentation together or a talk 
is, okay, well, can I pull any of those uh, snippets into a video or can I just uh, copy and paste (laughs) pretty much what I've spoken and put that into a post or put it into an email format? Again, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have all of the answers. It's not super structured, but I do I do, do that a lot. I, I dip into different pieces of content and I publish them in different places. Um, so yeah, I think that's the smartest way of going about it. But sometimes you can't always, you can't always repeat the exact same talk you've done in one place because if it's already on the internet and people have seen it then yeah you you always need to kind of edit and tweak you've mentioned like learning and taking a course and I even noticed on your website it says never done learning so it's obviously (laughs) an important thing for you yeah I think that education is oh my gosh it's just the the foundation for everything when you're when you're working for yourself more so than anything I honestly I feel like in the past year I've done like two degrees with the with the amount that I'm just like constantly learning because it's it's not just taking courses so I've done a few courses but it's also just learning on the job with every single project I'm learning something new and then tweaking that for the next project or I'm learning a new tool and adding that into my kind of process or you know, adding a slight different string to my bow with how I support my clients. And it's, it's never ending. And I think that's what I love about the work as well is, um, it is, it's what's exciting really that I'm, I'm just constantly learning new things. It doesn't have to be specifically courses or, or books, but sometimes it's also about the actual work that you do in the process. Do you like make time for it or is it just as things occur to you? Yeah, I, I used to kind of theme and batch my days and I still do but I I I change it probably guessing right by now Steve that I pivot and change (laughs) the way that I work in so many areas of my life not just the work that I do but so I used to do client work on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays and then I would do a kind of content stuff so writing emails and blogs and stuff on Thursdays and I would always do kind of learning on Saturdays I realized after a little while that the blocking the whole day didn't do any work for me. And so now I'm kind of working in a bit more of a time blocked way. So I kind of block off mornings and afternoons. But yeah, I did. I, I like to kind of block into my calendar a little bit of time and space for learning. Um, I think that it was it's sort of a healthier way for me to know, like, don't try to do a course every single day because it becomes really overwhelming. So Saturday worked for me because it's kind of like, okay, wake up, relax and you know, watch that that course that I've been thinking about um, during the week. And it's one thing to do a course or to read a book for that matter or whatever. It's then another thing to put things into practice. Yeah, that's the hard. That's the hardest bit, isn't it? <laughs> I think you can reach a point of saturation with courses and books. And there is a moment where you do need to just stop and do the work. And I think if I if I think back uh, to the start of my kind of freelance journey, if I was, you know, going to go back and say, tell Diane, if you, I would tell Diane a number of things actually <laughs> to do differently, but that would be one of them is that, yeah, you can learn, but like, just stop for a second and actually do the work. Um, I'm, I'm a lot better about that now. So I try not to only consume and make sure that I'm, I'm kind of putting stuff into practice. Or if I realize, uh, oh, I learned that, but I don't want to do it. then just try and like delete from my brain <laughs> yeah you used the word entrepreneur a few times as well um as in you know like when when you might be talking about things on linkedin so mm-hmm. how have you found the business side of things it's, it sounds by you just by using that term that you kind of embrace it yeah it's i re- i don't really identify myself as a freelancer and i don't say it so i know 
bit tricky because I'm on the Being Freelance podcast, <laughs> but I know you love to talk about this. There was a shift when I first started working um, for myself. I called myself a freelancer, but I think I always knew deep down I wanted to build something a bit bigger. It's also one of the reasons why I, I um, built a website under a name and I kind of trade under a business name, even though it is just me. Um, like my kind of company name is Lion Words and... I started that with day one. So even when I was doing translation before moving into messaging, that was the the name that I used, the website that I put up. And I think it's because I, I just knew I didn't want to just be Diane Rude. I don't want people to work with Diane. I want them to work with kind of an entity. And it's not just for client facing, but it's for me as well. I think it allows me to dream bigger and to remove myself a little bit from my work. Sometimes I think it can be quite hard when you're doing business just as yourself to know where you stop mm. and the work begins or the other, or vice versa, you know? Uh, so that's the way that I kind of approach it. And I really, I, I've been using the word entrepreneur. I'm not sure if I really see myself as an entrepreneur, maybe a solopreneur, but definitely a business owner. Definitely. I think that there's, there's a lot of nuance in all that language, but, but I definitely see, I see my business as something that's bigger than me and, and I hope to grow it. That's, that's my goal. When you say you hope to grow it, what does growth look like to you? Yeah, growth to me is it's it's changed over the years. I'm not quite sure at, at this stage if I really want to go down the agency route. I think that growth is something that I'm still I'm still exploring. I know that I want to um, not hire full time staff, but work with more contractors uh, in areas that like in kind of support areas. So, for example, a VA, a VA is something that I've been kind of considering for a while but I haven't actually brought them on I've just worked with uh, people to help me with uh, tech with uh, finance I work with it you know and I've also kind of outsourced outsourced certain parts of my work but um, when I say grow I think I mean I I just mean kind of everything (laughs) from from revenue to authority to potentially the size I'm not sure I think it, it changes Okay. Now, uh, Diane, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me? All right. So this is my favorite part of the show, Steve. I'm honestly, I'm so excited to play this. (laughs) (laughs) I like have listened to them all religiously. Some people have done such great ones. So I'm really nervous. All right. I'm going to, I'm drum rolling myself. So number one, I once got stuck in an airport for five days. Hmm. Number two, when I was house sitting and dog sitting in Jamaica, I lost the dog. (laughs) Number three, I once appeared on Guatemalan national TV. Oh, wow. That is a good fact. This better be true. Why were you on national TV in Guatemala? (laughs) So I actually appeared in the Guatemalan beauty pageant. And I, <laughs> I danced. So there was a performance. I'm going to kind of go backwards. So I went to Guatemala to visit a friend. Um, I'd made a friend on kind of a, an exchange when I was living in Spain, a Guatemalan friend, and he went back there. So I went to visit him for a couple of weeks. And when I went there, he said, hey, there's actually this, we do kind of national beauty pageants. And you might know or you might not know, but beauty pageants are huge in Central and South America. 
a little bit like the US. And so it was a big thing in Guatemala. And my friend was the makeup artist uh, for some of the girls. And so I got dressed up and went with him while he was doing the makeup. And uh, his friend kind of just wanted to bring me out on stage because I was like this Amazonian woman compared to everyone else in Guatemala. And I went out on stage and kind of uh, danced and it appeared on national TV. (laughs) Okay. Um, You were dog sitting in Jamaica and lost for dog. (laughs) Yes. So um, my uh, partner and I, we went, uh, yeah, we went to uh, Jamaica for a short period of time. It's meant to be a couple of months and we were house sitting for this woman as part of that, looking after her dog. Um, <laughs> this dog lived outside in the garden. So it was always had to be, we always had to kind of lock the gate. And uh, one morning, we're, we're not sure if it was my partner, if it was me. We haven't, we kind of argue about that, who let them out. Okay, but you're on a podcast right now. So if you want to chuck them under the bus. Throw them under the bus. Okay, it was him. So um, we obviously didn't close uh, the gate and said dog uh, escaped into uh, this kind of residential area in Jamaica. And I should say that a lot of people are very scared of dogs in Jamaica. And so this dog was set loose, (laughs) running around, uh, and uh, we had to go off and kind of find him and chase him and actually go into people's houses because he was running through um, people's houses. And everyone was uh, very traumatized, but we managed to get him back after kind of running through the town. And you spent five days trapped in an airport. So I was, um, I had a stopover in Dubai airport. I was flying uh, back to the UK from Thailand. And as I got off my plane in Dubai, I realized that I'd left my passport on the plane. <laughs> And I realized a little bit too late. Um, so I obviously in a huge panic got in touch with like the, the, the airplane staff on the ground. They said, I don't know if you've ever tried to go back on a plane because you've forgotten something. You're not allowed to do that. Um, they have really strict rules in place. Um, so they wouldn't let me go back. Uh, the plane had actually already kind of got new passengers to, to keep going because planes don't, they just fly constantly they just kind of refuel and go back and forth and it essentially like took them ages to bring it back to me I had tried to get in touch with the British embassy and it was a pretty long and extensive uh dramatic situation because I couldn't leave the airport I couldn't get on my flight to the UK without a passport um and it dragged on for days until I could get the embassy to kind of help me get out of there uh, and bring the passport back to me where did you sleep um, I slept just on the chairs. Luckily, Dubai airport has like showers and like changing, like changing facilities. So it was okay. And I had my stuff. I had everything else. I had my phone and I had like clothes and but obviously did, there's like restaurants you, there and food. Did they let you get your bag? Because your bag would have got on the next plane or like what? I had hand luggage with me. So I had like essentials. Um, but no, I didn't actually have the the big case. Uh, so yeah okay I believe all of these (laughs) now the the five days at the airport I wasn't believing that at the beginning 
because you kept saying um 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 a lot, which is interesting because you didn't do that on the others. Now, was that because you were making it up or trying to remember it? I don't know, but it was a different way that you told the story. Mm -hmm. However, the story kind of feels true, (laughs) as in (laughs) I can imagine that if you didn't realise you didn't have your passport, it might take ages until like you needed it i.e. to buy something at the airport or to go through the next thing that you then realised it was missing. Mm. The lost dog is weird. I mean, it's odd, but it's so odd that it kind of feels like that would be true. <laughs> Guatemala, even odder. So odd, must be true. I Oh, I don't know. There's a bit of a theme as well. I, I, I went with the travelling theme. Travelling, so yeah. They're all in foreign, far-flung places. Yeah, there's something about, okay, there's something about the way you told that story. (laughs) And I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know whether if, it depends when you noticed it. But I'm now trying to think, like, when you get off off a plane, do you show your passport? You don't really. I'm trying to, I've not done a lot of travelling, I must admit. You you show it when you leave. But what about, I've been to Australia and then you get off at Singapore. When do you show your passport? I don't think you show it until you buy something in a shop or you get on your next plane. Bingo. You don't, do you? (laughs) What's your answer, Steve? I feel like you're going really really around the houses with this one. No, hang on. Now you're trying to force my hand as if I don't overthink the question. You're trying to force me, which makes me even more suspicious. I'm saying the airport is the lie. Final answer? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yes! (laughs) Uh, Now, Diane, if you could tell your younger self, you touched upon this earlier on, but if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? So many things. (laughs) So many things. But I think the big thing that I would say is to work on value-based pricing. I think really understand the value that you provide your clients and charge accordingly from the get-go. I think that, you know, too many freelancers and myself struggle for a while and it could be months, but it could be years kind of trying to climb the freelance status ladder and just forgetting that you can actually just start at the top or just actually throw the ladder away. Like you don't, (laughs) you don't need validation. You know, I think you choose where to position yourself in the market and, you know, whether you earn a thousand or 5,000 for that one contract is often down to to mindset. So I I do think, um, thinking about the value that we deliver is, uh, the biggest thing that I would change and tell myself in the beginning. That is a great point. And I feel like it's something that we didn't actually talk about, though, as in, so how would you say that you got around mindset? Like, did you work with somebody? Did you, was it one of the courses that you took? Like, what was it that got you to throw away that ladder? Yeah, I think one of the big things that I did was surround myself with kind of other people that were doing the same thing as me. I joined um, uh, a mastermind, a kind of copywriting mastermind, a lot of other freelancers that were kind of going through the the same thing. And it was a bit of a kind of a bit of a, a, a business kind of mindset thing. And after starting that and kind of seeing um, the work that other other people were doing, I just... I came to the realization pretty quickly that I I just needed to charge my worth and increase my prices. And uh, I've done so many times (laughs) over a short period of time. Um, I've kind of doubled my rates in the space of months after realizing that, okay, you know, I was undercharging. Um, 
Diane, so good to talk to you. Go to beingfreelance.com. There will be links through. So, I mean, just like Diane mentioned, you know, she's reached out to previous guests of this podcast. You can reach out. You can share this online if you've enjoyed it. Uh, Take out some of the quotes that you find at beingfreelance.com that Diane's mentioned and share those. If you've enjoyed it, maybe think about leaving a review as well. You can do that on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. So please do. And for that matter, obviously at beingfreelance.com or wherever you found this podcast, you will find over two. 250 other guests other episodes and funnily enough right at the beginning of the story diane mentioned pro copywriters and we even spoke to leaf kendall who is one of the people behind pro copywriters on this podcast in the past a really interesting chat so search for leaf kendall if you want to find his story as well but for now diane thank you so much really great chatting to you and all the best being freelance thanks for having me it was wonderful chatting with you There we go. There's Diane. I tell you what, there's only a few episodes of this season left. There's been so much happening this year already. Remember, it doesn't matter what they do for their freelance job. It's all about the being freelance. Please do go back, take a listen, review, rate, share. It all makes a difference. Okay, I'm out of here. You have a great week being freelance. Being freelance.